Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today our guest is Carl Guardino, the CEO and president of the powerful Silicon Valley Leadership Group. That's the organization of 350 of the top companies in the Valley. Carl's stepping down from the organization after 23 years, and he's got a lot to say. And as always, Carl will say it in complete paragraphs because Carl is masterful in speaking in complete paragraphs. We talk about how the coronavirus pandemic will reshape Silicon Valley. You still need to buy or rent an expensive place down there if most people can work from home? What will the Valley look like in 20 years? Let's find out. Here's my conversation with Carl Guardino. Carl Guardino, from your daughter's bedroom in your home in Monteserino to my daughter's bedroom in Oakland, welcome to It's All Political. I'm delighted to be on the podcast, and both of our daughters will uh, will probably charge us rent. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I will be expecting that bill. So when we planned to have this podcast back in March, and it was uh, the world was a different place in many ways, um, uh, and uh, now I want to talk to you about how the valley is going to be reshaped uh, because of the pandemic facebook expects within a decade more than half of its 48,000 employees would work from home twitter told its employees they could work from home indefinitely google told its people go ahead stay at home through the rest of the year <clears throat> how do you see this reshaping silicon valley this is going to have a profound impact on silicon valley and the innovation economy and in many ways a positive impact uh, whenever we have challenges, we should also look for the silver lining in those challenges. And if there's one thing that Silicon Valley is learning through COVID-19 is that when the door is locked, you check the window or you build a new door. And the new doors are going to be work arrangements by which our employees can still thrive and we can still have successful business outcomes. It's going to be in areas like tele telehealth. It's going to be in areas like online learning and digital inclusion. And these are going to be positive aspects of all the challenges that we're going through. I, I know that the lack of traffic right now is also leading to clearer skies and cleaner roadways. Who would have predicted that we might be able to tackle our greenhouse gas and pollution issues and um, and uh, uh, traffic challenges uh, in ways that we wouldn't have predicted three months ago. So there's going to be some good from this. And again, one of those, as you just stated, is how we work and where we work for those jobs that can be done remotely. And we have to remember, not what all this, jobs. <clears throat> what does this mean about how, what what the future of like real estate is going to be in the valley and in San Francisco, for that matter, in Oakland, where I live? If people can work from home, do they, do they need those big office spaces or are they going to need those office spaces so people can, those same sort of footprints so that people can spread out in them? This is going to be a positive aspect as well of this challenge in that we know that nonprofits, a lot of startups have found the Bay Area almost unaffordable to participate physically in the innovation economy. And as there becomes perhaps less of a need for as much office space as we have had and the cost of that office space in the Bay Area, that mean, may mean more opportunities for others uh, in business, for-profit or non-profit, to be able to afford to be here. 
I'm thinking of our own small nonprofit, the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, 32 full-time equivalent employees. And when we do return to a physical presence, it will probably uh, be with even more liberal work from home policies than we already had. And we were already quite liberal in that regard. So when our lease comes up in September of 2022, are we going to need as much space? I don't think we're going to. Does it free up space for other small businesses and nonprofits? I think it will. So that would be, so you're anticipating drop in real estate prices. Does that mean tech companies, or do you anticipate them setting up more regional hubs? You know, uh, it might <clears throat> uh, do something about the traffic you alluded to, and I know it's been a longtime concern of the leadership group. Um, are we gonna see tech hubs in Stockton or Kansas City for that matter? Um, is that going to reshape the valley in that way? Well, first, we've always felt that while Silicon Valley and the Bay Area are still the epicenter of innovation on Earth, and that's by very strong data points that it is, that we think that other regions, states, and nations should also have thriving innovation economy hubs. So uh, it's not a, a feeling of threat when I say that having innovation or uh, hubs or employees in other locations is a bad thing. But we also have to remember a couple of things. First, not every job can successfully be performed in a remote environment, whether that's high-tech, low-tech, or no-tech. So we do have to figure out in our current COVID and even a post-COVID environment, how we returned in a way that is safe for our employees to be together and do their work. Second, let's not forget what we used to call water cooler talk. And that, whether it's in the newsroom at the San Francisco Chronicle or the hallway of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, there is so much creativity with our, our contact as people in those random conversations that we have when we're together in a physical space. And third, we can never forget that not everyone's home environment is conducive to a productive workday. Uh, Joe, we were talking about our daughters. I have three young children, and it, it is uh, challenging at best to have them as my office mates on a daily basis, and they <laughs> probably feel the same way. I, I hear you, brother. Um, what is the uh, what? So, what do you think the valley looks like in say 2040? You're, you've always been uh, have had an eye about the future, what the uh, uh, what corner of the world looks like. What does it look like, and how is it different than today? Well, first, we have already decided that uh, a lot of the issues that we've been working on for decades may have solutions that are a bit different. We continue to work. Uh, with a regional economy on regional commute patterns and regional solutions relative to transit. We'll still need to do that, but we're also recognizing that with the right attitudes and accommodations for alternative work arrangements, that we can supplement our efforts for traffic relief and transit alternatives with much more liberal work alternatives. So that's gonna be a part of the solution. Second, housing and homelessness isn't just a challenge in the Bay Area, it's a challenge in the entire state of California after 30 years of neglect of building 
the amount of homes needed just to meet our own population growth on a yearly basis? Well, I think we're going to find that we're going to make that somewhat better if we continue to build homes, but recognizing that homes may not always need to be as close to job sites as we thought before March 16 shelter in place. So we're, we're gonna see a lot of issues addressed differently and potentially in very positive ways in a post COVID climate. But big changes are going to have a more difficult time resonating until and unless we have treatments and cures to COVID. Right, right. Um, let's speak of uh, uh, transportation issues. Let's talk about BART. Uh, you've, uh, for the last couple of decades, you've been one of the prime movers to bring BART to uh, San Jose, and that station will open June 13th, shortly after we're recording this. Uh, but because of the pandemic, these trains are, you know, 85% empty. Nobody's once arrived in the train right now. They think it's a, it's a petri dish for the for the virus. I'm even concerned about my, myself uh, going back to work. Uh, um, but and the system's running out of money too. Are you concerned that the that the pandemic will reshape public transit as we as we see it now, and and how will it do so? And it's so important that we recognize the lens and the power of now, but we also have to remember the promise of tomorrow, because whether we're talking about Caltrain that has been successfully running since 1863, serving three counties along the peninsula or the BART system. These are great transit systems that will be great once again as we move in a past COVID world. So we can't get too locked into what today looks like when we know these systems take years and sometimes decades to build, and that as we get past the challenge of COVID now, that we know that we're still going to need uh, transit for both the transit dependent population, as well as people like you and I, who, um, as we return to some sense of normalcy, would prefer a BART car or a Caltrain car to a stalled car on Bay Area's freeways. Hey, here's a big concern I have, Joe. In the current climate, as shelter in place slowly lifts, if all of us are getting back into single occupant cars, we're going to truly have Carmageddon in the Bay Area. We are going to need those alternative work arrangements that we talked about earlier, but we're also going to need to find the safe solutions for how we move people in this region. And we have hundreds of thousands of people who are transit dependent. And if we leave them literally at the curb and act as if, well, they can just jump into a car when they don't own a car or have access to a car, then we're going to be failing hundreds of thousands of our fellow citizens and residents in this region. So BART uh, is going to rise again. So is Caltrain, SF Muni, VTA. We need to make sure that they survive through this economic crisis, which has turned in for them to be a fiscal crisis as well. Is the, is the leadership group, uh, and again, the leadership group represents 350 uh, top companies in, in the Valley. Um, it's 350, correct? We, you don't have, it's not, we don't have any more or less. It's, it's uh, yes, it's about 350 and 350, more. Okay. okay. Um, is, it, is they going to do anything to, to, are you considering um, 
supplementing the public transit systems? Are you, are you, is there any way you can uh, raise money for them? I know you, you, it's, it's vital to the way uh, to, to making the Valley work. Such a timely question, Joe. For nine years since 2011, we have been working to ensure that Caltrain grows the way that we all know that it's capable to grow. Uh, before COVID, of course, so March data. Caltrain carries about 62,000 weekday passenger trips. The AMPM commutes in both directions are jam-packed. We all know that. We're packed in like sardines on Caltrain. It has the potential through their business plan to triple in ridership from 62,000 weekday passenger trips to 180,000 weekday passenger trips. And since three out of five Caltrain riders are choice riders, they own cars, they're making a choice to get out of their cars. Just picture the difference that makes on Highway 101, 280, El Camino Real, and all the linked corridors when you suddenly have nearly 180,000 folks who have cars out of their cars and onto Caltrain cars. That is tremendous. So we have tested nine surveys over nine years, almost all of them polling above the two-thirds threshold for an increase uh, in revenue to triple the ridership on Caltrain. We're about to go out with another poll to find out if in this climate that people still will see the long-term and a willingness to invest in transit solutions. And oh, by the way, the 16,000 direct and indirect jobs that that will produce when so many of our neighbors have lost their jobs. So the benefit of something that actually creates jobs while helping the rest of us in a post-COVID climate uh, get to our jobs. So you're pulling another, another tax uh, on, on uh, that would be a transit-oriented tax um, to help Caltrain. And, and you, you've used this analogy uh, as well in the past, uh, but not too long ago, uh, crossing the Golden Gate Bridge and seeing the plaque, that that work was done in the climate of the uh, depression, done by visionary leaders who knew there would be a better day and they could see past the depression. Because that work was done from 1933 to 1937. And if they had said, oh my goodness, the uh, economy is a shambles, we can't do anything big or visionary, we wouldn't have the Golden Gate Bridge but that actually put people to work and helps tens of thousands of people every day get to work because those folks had vision to look past the power of now, but look forward to the promise of the future. We have more in my conversation with Carl after this short break. Here's more of my conversation with Carl Guardino. Let's talk about something that's very recently now, and that's uh, President Trump the recently tweeted in reference to the ongoing protests about racism and police brutality. He said, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Uh, Twitter put a label on that, said, you know, to uh, a cautionary label. Facebook let it stand. Twitter fact-checked President Trump about the misleading statements he made about voted by mail. Facebook did not. Uh, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said he won't do that because he don't doesn't believe that uh, in Facebook being quote an arbiter of truth. Is Facebook wrong here to let the president's statements stand? 
it's always fascinating because we have to make individual decisions, whether as people or as institutions. What I will focus on is what is the leadership group doing? Uh, we are reaching out in the last 24 hours to our member company CEOs with two messages. One, we need to stand up and speak up for what is right and against what is wrong. Racism is wrong. We cannot be on the sidelines in this, in this situation. So we, in less than 24 hours, well over 100 CEOs from struggling startups to global iconic brands are joining us in standing up and speaking up. But what we're going to do at the leadership group, because talk is cheap, you have to walk the walk, is we are already reaching out to key elected leaders and the faith community and, um, and others in the social justice community who have been leading for years and decades of how do you help us as an innovation economy community better understand the challenges and the solutions. And our board meeting has completely pivoted for next week of what are the substantive ways that we can help with the underlying issues that innovation economy employers are uniquely suited to help address. Digital inclusion, um, uh, online learning, food insecurity, environmental justice, housing policies, transit equity. We are going to be reimagining our entire work plan informed by leaders throughout our community that we don't always dialogue with as much as we can to move forward. So we're going to stand up, we're going to speak up, and we're going to step up because through these tragedies that have been happening across our country, we believe the time is uh, uniquely right to change not only the dialogue, but the outcomes in these, in these challenging issues that we face as a nation. And one of those challenges that the, the Valley has faced for a long time despite many efforts to change it, is hiring people of color. It's still a very low at many companies, and many initiatives to, to try and improve that. Do you think that the, uh, it's almost like the, 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 the pandemic might be able to help in a way? Because if there is more, if there are more remote sites uh, for companies, it might uh, broaden the hiring pool. It might, people uh, might not have to live uh, in Sunnyvale or or Menlo Park, where the or San Francisco, or Oakland, where the high with a high cost of living, you might be able to live anywhere you want in the country and do your job in Silicon Valley. Is that a? Do you see that as a possibility? And I'm a firm believer that you lead by example. So I'm going to give um, a personal response as well as a professional innovation economy response. Uh, on a personal response, uh, how are we leading through the Silicon Valley Leadership Group as an employer? With 32 professionals passionate about making our region nation, and nation a better place. Uh, and our own practices of making sure that a core value that plays out in our hiring practices and every aspect of our work uh, through diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so first, uh, who we hire, what our board looks like, what our executive board looks like, what our foundation board looks like. We can't 
talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion if we're not succeeding in those areas as well. We're very proud of what we've built. Second is goes to the heart of what you just said. How do we make sure that the rich diversity of our region is reflected in the hallways of our companies? And one of the areas that we're very excited about is our community college to career initiative. We're partnering with 19 community college presidents and chancellors throughout the Bay Area. That represents 360,000 students, 77% of which don't look like you and I, Joe, uh, but, they're, uh, but they're people of color. 54% are female. And what we're doing a deep dive with those chancellors and with our innovation economy CEOs, what are those job clusters that we all know that we have that don't require a four-year or advanced degree, but could be done incredibly successfully with a two-year degree or even the right certified coursework that instantly propels people into incredibly strong middle-class and upper-middle-class careers within our innovation economy companies. We've identified about nine job clusters like that because we know that if we can make sure that folks who already live here have already figured out the housing and traffic and other challenges of high-cost Bay Area, are equipped with the tools that our community colleges can provide, and we get past that mindset that everyone needs a four-year or advanced degree to be in the innovation economy, we're going to be able to have a material impact on improving people's lives and livelihoods and helping our companies who sincerely want to have the rich diversity um, uh, in their workforce for all the benefits that brings in the marketplace uh, to, uh, to win on both sides. So you're gonna be hearing a lot more about the Community College to Career Initiative as a way that we much more deeply diversify our economy and diversify the people who work throughout the innovation economy. Um, one, a uh, couple more quick questions. Uh, where, where's the, uh, the leadership group on President Trump? I mean, I know he has been a, uh, the, the, certainly the, the tax cuts help, but has he been a, has he been a good partner for the Valley? Very similar to Governor Newsom's approach. The view of the uh, Silicon Valley leadership group as an institution is that we can only be responsible for our own actions. And we will always treat others with professionalism and respect and do our best to move our country forward for all of our citizens. And uh, we will continue in that vein, recognizing that we will take positions, strong positions, on comprehensive immigration reform and other issues where uh, our members and the leadership group as an entity are not in agreement with President Trump. And when the president uh, tweets against individual employers or institutions for our stand on issues like comprehensive immigration reform, we'll continue to move forward with facts over friction 
and data over dogma and do our best to make our case for what we believe is right. And we will do it in a way where we can look in the mirror and know that we treated everyone with respect, regardless as to whether we were treated with that same respect. Carl, you are ever the diplomat. I, <laughs> you walk the tightrope there very well. Um, the, uh, and I, on the other hand, I've had uh, just about all the, the Democratic presidential candidates have been on the podcast. And to a person, they are frustrated with much that's going on in the Valley. And they, they talk about regulating big tech and uh, to various degrees from breaking up big tech to... Um, uh, using to regulating uh, Facebook uh, companies like Facebook, like a media company, for example, or using antitrust laws. Where what do you say to to folks who who have these concerns about some of the tech companies getting too big uh, and wanting to regulate them either through antitrust laws or uh, through as a media company and what have you? And at our heart, David Packard co-founder of Hewlett Packard, who created the leadership group back in the summer of 1977. Our goal is to build bridges rather than burn them down. And whenever we hear of leaders of any political uh, party or ideology attacking the innovation economy, our goal is come, let us reason together. Let's talk through what your concerns are. Let's make sure that you have the facts you need to make thoughtful decisions as policymakers. Because when we hear, oh, let's just break up quote unquote big companies or big tech, it, it fails to recognize the power of the market. Look at who big tech was even a couple of decades ago. And you'll find that the graveyards of innovation are filled with folks who were considered big companies who missed an innovation, who lost um, faith of consumers and the marketplace, and they're gone. That is such a strong reminder that um, uh, the market so often will course correct. The, the second thing that I... You shouldn't be bashing MySpace like that. <laughs> and there are so many examples. <laughs> of companies that, that uh, didn't stay strong, didn't stay innovative, and didn't stay in existence. Um, and, and you think of yeah, whether you're looking at Europe or, or other places, uh, the innovation economy is here because um, the strength of competition still works. So, Whenever we have a chance to sit down with voices who think in, in quite simplistic ways, if I may, that why don't we just break up big companies uh, based on arbitrary decisions like uh, how many employees they have, what their market cap is, uh, uh, what their annual revenue is. Uh, those aren't right reasons to break up a company. Why are we penalizing folks for being successful in the marketplace. Let's think through this together. What are you actually trying to achieve? Uh, if it's press, okay, I get that. You're running for a high office, you're looking for press. But if it's progress that we're actually trying to make to keep our country as innovative as possible for both job creation and innovation, then let's separate that out. I'll give an example. 
I often hear in uh, earlier portions of the presidential uh, debate uh, attacks on biotech and pharmaceutical companies. Well, who's leading the way now for treatments and cures to COVID-19? Is it some generic drug company somewhere that's never invested a dime and, and taken the risk of research and innovation, who hasn't bet billions of dollars and, and uh, uh, a decade or more going through the FDA process of approval? No, it's not the generics. It's the risk-taking innovators and their employees who are coming up with solutions to the current global pandemic that we're in. We're talking about Gilead and Genentech and Jazz Pharmaceutical and other great companies that are racing for solutions to this issue that the generics that are also uh, often trumpeted uh, by political candidates will never do because they'll never take those risks. Uh, one more question, and that's about how uh, the, the ongoing trade war with China is uh, hurting the valley. Um, there, there's a new twist and turn every day. What are your concerns about this going forward? And that's another one similar to this situation today about CEOs standing up, speaking up, and stepping up for what is right. But in your paper, the San Francisco Chronicle, as well as other papers in this region, we invested in full page ads as well as substantive action when we hear attacks uh, that are really xenophobic in nature. Uh, because when you think about what has built America, not just the innovation economy, but America, America was built through the brains and through the brawn of immigrants. And whether that was my grandmother coming from Sicily as a little girl without a word of English just two generations ago, or people from China who have led to job creation and innovation here. Uh, but I think of people like Ken Z of Fortinet and Jerry Yang of Yahoo and Eric Yuan of Zoom and so many others who risked everything to come from communist China because they wanted to be Americans. Uh, we should be excited about the innovation and job creation that these hardworking, creative, and courageous immigrants have brought to America's economy and to our communities. And it's one of the things that makes me so proud to be a Bay Area resident affiliated with the innovation economy. 54% of the engineers fueling Silicon Valley's innovation economy weren't blessed to be born in the United States, but they were courageous enough to come here, often study here, create and innovate here. We should be humbled by that every day of how fortunate we are not attacking in any way uh, Chinese immigrants, or immigrants from anywhere in the world who want to come here for a better way of life, and by doing so, have made our lives better here in America. But uh, and, but in terms of economics, what are your concerns um, about the but the the trade war and where, what, how has it hurt the valley? I know there's there's been a, a venture capitalist deals in terms of uh, venture capital from China uh, is is fallen uh, in the valley. What are your what are your other concerns about that? What we've learned about trade wars is it's like a boomerang, that when you put on tariffs, 
you're not really hurting the company that you're attacking because like a boomerang that comes back and hits American taxpayers and consumers with a higher cost of goods, with implications on jobs, that hurts America. And so we have to remember that these issues are complex and nuanced, and we can't look at simplistic win-lose solutions when we should be always working towards win-win solutions. And, ca and causing higher prices for Americans on goods is not a solution, especially in an economic downturn, that's going to help hardworking American families. Carl, thank you so much. You are you are retiring uh, from the leadership group uh, soon, and uh, do we do we have do you have a date on that? I know it was supposed to be a while back, but I think you you got to, you got extended. You extend push that out a little bit. What's what's the latest on that? Joe, thank you. And as my wife Leslie reminds me with a laugh, um, that with three young children and a mortgage, there is no retiring. I am transitioning. From, <laughs> transitioning. Okay. <laughs> uh, and yes, I announced on January 2nd, my board uh, asked if I could stay through a successful national search. They thought that would take four months. Then COVID hit. And I let my board know that I was uh, willing to stay to make sure uh, the success of my successor, regardless of who she or he might be, uh, they said yes. So you're stuck with me, Joe, until probably at least the end of July. Uh, so I will have stayed seven <laughs> additional months. Uh, and if you need a great intern at the San Francisco Chronicle, yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> you, you couldn't take the pay cut, Carl. The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, but we also have to ask you, we always joke about this because uh, you are a, uh, a, I don't know what to say, a, a rabid exerciser. You are, uh, every time I talk to you, you have already done uh, more in the previous three hours than I've done in a month. <laughs> the last time you came up to the Chronicle, you rode your bike from San Jose which is insane. Um, what, uh, what have you done so far this morning to make me feel bad since I've only eaten like a bowl of cereal and walked the dog? Uh, yes, my wife and I uh, historically are Ironman triathletes and marathon <laughs> runners. And I, I only did that, Joe, because I fell in love with a, a woman who uh, was on Team USA in, in triathlon, uh, competing in the world championships. Oh and I goodness. thought, boy, if I'm going to be successful in dating this woman, uh, then I've got to join them or one of these other guys in spandex is going to steal her away from me. <laughs> uh, so yes, we, uh, we do multi-sport. We, uh, we run four or five days a week. We bike ride a lot. And we're having a chance to do that more with our kids right now. One of the other silver linings of shelter in place is more time with our families and our kids. So uh, truth be told, right after this podcast, we're going out for an hour run. And so I will sweat a little bit for you. There we go. Please do it for me because I don't, I will be, I'll be sweating on deadline. That's about the only thing I'm going to be doing. Okay. Carl, thank you so much for being on It's All Political. Joe, it's a pleasure. Thanks for the great work you do. I'd like to thank you all for listening, and I hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Carl for joining us today. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And remember, whether you work from home or sit in Silicon Valley traffic for four hours a day, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. 
If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.